Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. All right. Hello, guys. Welcome back to The Code. Again, Dr. Andrew Fix here from Physio Room. And um, today I'm joined by one of my coworkers, Dr. Amber Rand. She too is one of our providers here at Physio Room. She's actually been here even a little longer than I have. And um, Amber is our women's health or pelvic health specialist on the team. So Amber, thanks for uh, for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, you know, sorry it took so long to get to get you on here. You know, finding a time on our schedules is not always easy, but um, I'm really excited to get into this conversation because, you know, I'm I'm sure you would agree that. What you specialize in is something that is not well known enough in in the community. And, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, maybe don't even know that pelvic floor physical therapy is is a thing um, in different parts of the world. You know, it's maybe more well known than here, but I think this is so valuable. And um, quite frankly, I'm kind of of the camp that I think going through a pregnancy is a lot more traumatic to the body than any of these major surgeries that you know, physical therapy is like a given after some of these major surgeries, but not necessarily after a pregnancy. So I'm stoked to have you on here. Yeah, I'm excited. I think a lot of times, you know, a lot of these conversations are considered taboo, or we've been told that, oh, whatever is going on is just normal. This is the cost of motherhood, or that's just what happens when you've gone through pregnancy. And a lot of things, those are not true. They, why they may be common, they're not normal, and it's not what we have to live with. And that there's a lot of different options out there for a lot of different things. Yeah, I, I love that idea that, you know, the word normal gets used a lot for a lot of things. Pain is normal, whatever. But common and normal are not the same thing, right? And a lot of things are common, but they're not normal. Um, well, before we get sort of like down the rabbit hole into some of those conversations, would you just share for anyone that's tuning into this kind of like your background, you know, where you're from, how you wound up here at Physio Room and anything else that you would uh, would like to share? Yeah, so I spent most of my life growing up in Colorado, grew up in the mountains in Gypsum, Colorado, and from there went down to Florida for grad school. I did the University of St. Augustine for Health Sciences dual degree program. So that's a three and a half year program, master's in occupational therapy and doctorate in physical therapy. I started with their OT program and just was left with a little bit of wanting more of it. They have a fantastic manual therapy program. Mm -hmm. And so added on the PT program while I was down there. Um, Took a little bit of a journey to get back to Colorado. I said that I was only going to be gone for two years for grad school, and it took about a decade to (laughs) get back. Um, But in those 10 years, added another degree, added a husband, a dog, a kid. So (laughs) some good times during that. We moved back in the summer of 2019, and was just kind of frustrated with the job hunt and the way that physical therapy looked, um, interviewing with a lot of the big clinics that were posting on D just 
or on Indeed just really left me wanting more out of a job. So I kind of switched how I was hunting from a job and just went to like word of mouth type of sites to hear where were people recommending to go. And then um, with the plan of cold calling places and just kind of got lucky and physio room was looking for someone at the same time that I was looking and it was right across the street from me. And it's been a great, (laughs) great journey since. That's so convenient when, you know, some people have commutes. I I think since, um, you know, since COVID and the pandemic and everything, probably a lot more people work remotely than, than ever before. So maybe commutes are a little less, but yeah, when you can find something that's basically right in your backyard, that is so convenient because with how much, you know, time that most people spend at work, well, if you only have a two or a five minute commute, that's like it opens up so much of your life and of your day and everything like that. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, I joked once we moved from renting to buying our house that my commute doubled, but it still falls under 10 minutes and it mm-hmm. takes me about 90 seconds longer on a bike than in a car. So Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. Well, so, you you know, you moved out of Colorado, went to school, worked other places, came back. And um, but you did spend some time working in more of the occupational therapy side of things, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. So kind of started my career under the hand therapy route and working with a lot of traumatic accidents and repetitive stuff, carpal tunnel stuff, and was lucky through all of that to still be working for a physical therapist owned clinic. So it still gave me a little bit more freedom to treat how I wanted um, in that realm of hand therapy, it is a lot of protocol based, especially post-op. And I just got frustrated with some of the lack of freedom and lack of flexibility of how I wanted to treat. That was the route that I was first kind of looking when we moved here and really mm-hmm. thought I was going to continue in and was just kind of frustrated with how healthcare, how work-life balance was going to look with those jobs. And so kind of stepped back, wasn't sure what physio room was going to have and offer, but it was a great place with a young child at the time. And it's Mm -hmm. really just kind of fell into something that is home for me. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously physio room was significantly different when, when you found it or you guys found each other and you joined compared to what it is now, not just from like a, you know, physical standpoint, like the office offices and everything, but the team and everything like that. Um, But, you know, from working in the occupational therapy side of things, when did, or where did the passion or the idea for going down the rabbit hole of getting into pelvic floor treatment or pelvic health? Where'd that come from? So, I mean, it was kind of a little bit of a process when I was working for a hospital system in Maryland, I was really frustrated with the, you need to see two to three patients at a time, all the time mentality. And so it was like, at first it was kind of a, okay, how do I get out of it? And there was a part-time pelvic floor therapist in our clinic and all of her sessions were one-on-one. And I was like, okay, this is a great way to move into more individualized treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, Growing up, my mom was a nurse and worked in labor and delivery, was big with Alicia, taught Lamaze. So kind of the birthing process had always been part of my childhood and was something there. So I think that kind of just prepped me into that. And then my own journey of 
having some pelvic pain and going through treatment with that and then getting pregnant and the stresses that pregnancy put on my body through there. And then postpartum journey just really solidified that this is where I can make an impact. And there's a lot of information out there that we're just not having access Mm -hmm. to. It was interesting, even at my own like six week follow up postpartum, the midwife was like, well, you're a PT, you know what to do. Right. Oh, okay. There's, (laughs) that was helpful. Not really, but yeah. And you know, that's interesting because, you know, I'm not exactly sure, you know, based off of early August of uh, 2022, when we're recording this, when it'll air, but one of the most recent episodes we just had go out with Dr. Jamie from Total Vitality. We were talking about how it's so awesome and important when, when you do something for your profession that you're like really, really passionate about, because then, you know, you take it more seriously, you're more invested in it, all these things, but that not everybody in the medical field, even if they know the information, that doesn't necessarily mean they live it or that they live a healthy lifestyle or whatever. Well, just because, yeah, you're, you're a physical therapist and you maybe know the information doesn't necessarily mean that we always apply all of the stuff we know to our own situation because there's a lot of obstacles that come in the way. So, um, yeah, that you felt like you were kind of treated differently and kind of, I don't know if I want to say brushed aside, but like, it wasn't as important to go through the same process with you because, Oh, you already know this stuff. You know, we don't have to talk about it, um, in your own experience. That's interesting. Yeah. And so I was lucky. I knew pelvic floor was PT was a thing. I actually personally had seen a pelvic floor physical therapist before I got pregnant. I had a hip injury that just kind of led on and didn't want to resolve. I was trying to be the typical PT and treat myself. And then as it progressed, ended up with a lot more pelvic pain. And that was where I was kind of like, okay, I'm out of my realm. I'm not doing what I need to. Let's bring somebody in on this. Um, And had a lot of relief and really great success with that. We kind of wrapped that up when um, I got pregnant, just as changed things. I personally had a pretty rough pregnancy, um, hyper MSS gravidera threw up a lot and then ended up tearing an abdominal muscle when I was about halfway through my pregnancy. And so then it went very much from a, I thought I was going to have this thriving pregnancy and fit and active and all of this to how am I just going to survive and keep my body held together? And what does this look like for delivery and all of that? So it was a longer journey than I expected, but, was lucky then, you know, even being brushed aside to have a resource and had somebody that I'd already seen that when things started to be like, okay, I don't think this is the way I'm supposed to be healing. Mm -hmm. I was able to just get right back in. What's going on code listeners, Dr. Andrew Fix here. And I want to tell you about our friends at Element. Element makes a tasty electrolyte drink with everything that you need and nothing that you don't. That means the science-backed electrolyte ratio of sodium, potassium, and magnesium and none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. And that's why I use it. I've been taking element for two years now, and I absolutely love the stuff and I wouldn't want to exercise without it for all of you code listeners and friends of physio room elements offered a special to you guys. And I want you to take advantage of it. Go ahead and visit drinkelement.com slash physio room. That's drinklmnt.com slash physio room. To receive that special offer, you're going to get a free variety pack with any purchase that you place. 
And uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. Thanks so much. Yeah. Wow. And that's, um, you know, having that experience, I'm sure now working with clients, like that allows you to relate to a lot of people that might be going through a, a very tough scenario themselves because you've lived the tough scenario yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's how I feel with, you know, some of the orthopedic injuries and surgeries and things that I've had. Um, you know, I tell people, Hey, I've had four hip scope procedures. And they're like, what do you mean? You've had four hip surgeries. I'm like, yeah. So I, I know a little bit what it feels like to be in your shoes, even if the procedure was different, like yeah. I've been through this, um, you know, rehabilitation process before, and it just helps you connect with people. So. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a big mental game of we're still pretty conservative of what our rules or what we're allowing women to do while they're pregnant. I think we don't know a whole lot. So some providers will be a little bit more flexible. Some providers are going to be pretty rigid in what they're recommending. And so kind of finding that balance. And then if what your provider is telling you, whether that's midwife or OB or whoever, isn't aligning with the things that you like to do, mm-hmm. that's a really hard mental place to be. And so yeah. kind of finding those. And then, you know, if things don't go according to plan, how do you get back there? Yeah. Well, let me ask you potentially a um, a difficult question only because I know um, all scenarios are not created equally, right? The, Things don't always go according to plan, but say um, for someone listening to this who, you know, maybe has gone through a pregnancy or maybe they have not, and they're just, you know, considering it and they're wondering like, well, what is that typical process like if things did go according to plan and things, you know, unfolded the way that by the book Mm -hmm. uh, they should, what does that process typically look like? Someone, you know, gets pregnant, goes through their pregnancy. What is the typical way that we handle like postpartum care or anything like that. And then as you're answering that, maybe you can throw in based on your experience being the expert in this, like maybe what some of your suggestions would be to how we could maybe handle this better. Yeah. If you don't think it's already the way it should be. Yeah. I mean, I don't think in a typical course, unless, you know, the pregnant person is bringing up the questions that there's always a whole lot of conversation about what you should be doing what you shouldn't be doing, what activity is okay, what activity is not. And I think that, you know, a lot of that does vary person to person of what their baseline activity is, um, how risk tolerant they're going to be as well. I mean, obviously there's going to be some things that are, most providers are going to be against definitely, you know, anything that you're going to take an impact (laughs) to the baby, you know, we're a fight avoiding, but there's going to be a lot of variations of, okay, how intense of an activity mm-hmm. is okay. Some yeah. people do really well running throughout their entire pregnancy and their body handles that very well or lifting weights or whatever it may be. And some people don't have that baseline to kind of carry them through that. Yeah. And so in my ideal world, it would be to see somebody before they're even pregnant because we can help establish like, okay, are you contracting your core in a way that's going to be the most efficient as your stomach muscles are getting stretched out and you're carrying more weight with a different center of gravity? Where is your pelvic floor baseline? Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times when we think about pelvic floor, we just think about Kegels and strengthening. We need more strengthening, but a lot of times more so what we are working on with the pelvic floor is getting it to be able to relax. And so, 
you know, kind of starting of, of that baseline early on of having full dynamic control and motor control of the pelvic floor early on is going to be more efficient later on. And so then just having some checkpoints throughout pregnancy of, okay, body's a little bit different now. How are you tolerating things? Mm -hmm. What are we looking for? You know, and I feel like that's the same um, kind of challenge maybe that we face with someone potentially coming into our physical therapy office for any of a number of other conditions. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, as, as great as it is that we get the opportunity to work with people after something starts to bother them, or maybe you see someone after they become pregnant and they're halfway through their, through their, uh, you know, nine months in theory, it would be awesome if we got to see them beforehand, because we may be able to catch potential problems or inefficiencies, things that aren't performing optimally before they become major problems. So yeah. it sort of sounds like what you're saying is, you know, if, if someone was considering or wanting to get pregnant, it would be awesome if you had the opportunity or any other pelvic floor physical therapist had the opportunity to work with them at least for a couple of visits beforehand to make sure that they're functioning the way they should be. Cause that's probably going to set them up for a more successful pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. More successful pregnancy. A lot of times a more successful delivery. Um, a lot of times there's still the, that process of pelvic floor is what is helping get baby out with mm -hmm. a vaginal delivery. And really, truly it's more the uterus doing the work. And then we want to support through the abdominal muscles, but that's a scenario where we need the pelvic floor to lengthen and kind of get out of the way to allow baby to come out versus yeah. really, truly doing the work. And so if we're starting with a pelvic floor that's already hypertonic or more tight in a sense and doesn't have the ability to lengthen, yeah. it's just going to be a harder process during delivery. Yeah. So two questions that come up, um, you know, based off of that. So if you're saying it's important to make sure people, of course, have control and the ability to engage their pelvic floor, but also the flip side, be able to allow those muscles to relax and lengthen um, can you sort of like compare that to maybe another muscle in the body? Like how, how would that work if we were talking about a different muscle that someone's maybe more familiar with? And then could you explain like, you know, what, what makes up what the pelvic floor is at yeah. the end of the day? Yeah. So I'll kind of start with that part of what is the pelvic floor exactly. Like you said earlier, everyone has a pelvic floor. I think we really have kind of started the conversation with women, especially with the postpartum experience of pelvic floor, but everybody has one. If we think of our core as kind of a canister with diaphragm being at the top, our stomach muscles or abdominals being in the front, mm -hmm. we have back muscles in the back, the pelvic floor is going to be the bottom. And it's kind of a bowl shape that lines the inside of our pelvis. Um, urethra, where you urinate, vagina, rectum are all going to be holes through the pelvic floor, mm -hmm. through there. Um, for males, pelvic floor is really going to play into the penis and how that works as well. Its job is to support the organs mm -hmm. as well as evacuation of bowel and bladder um, through there. So a lot of support is going to come through there. It's a little bit different than a lot of other muscles because of how it's innervated. A lot of our skeletal muscles are more voluntary control. We want to reach for something. Our brain sends the signals to 
allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. We may not necessarily think, okay, brain signal to this muscle, do this, but that's what's happening in the back of it. Our pelvic floor is going to have that control of like, okay, I need to do this. I need a little bit more support, or that's what we work on a lot of training. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go pick up a heavy box, or I'm going to go deadlift something. I need to have my pelvic floor along with my core supporting my body. We also have the involuntary of bowel and bladder control. Yeah. I don't think many of us are going, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Let me relax my pelvic floor. It's just something that happens yeah. with the urination process. So a little bit different of kind of the voluntary and involuntary parts of that. We also aren't really thinking, okay, I'm going to jump. How are we going to support that? So yeah. kind of the second part of How do those muscles work? A lot of muscles are easier to visualize if we think of a bicep of like, we're going to lengthen and we're going to shorten kind of straight plane. This is the action that we're going to take. Pelvic floor muscles aren't going to work as independently as much. And more so if we kind of think of a trampoline when it's at rest, nobody's on it. That's kind of its baseline amount of tension or tone Mm -hmm. in through the muscle. We're going to be able to create that contraction, which creates a lift of the pelvic floor when we want more support. If we're doing a Kegel, if we're, you know, have to go to the bathroom and we're holding it in, that's kind of the lift that we want as a contraction. However, where it varies a little bit different is the lengthened part. And that's kind of, if we think of a trampoline to get a really good contraction and a jump, you've got to create the force for the trampoline to go down. And we're lengthening the springs, we're lengthening the mat before it gets the spring to come back up. And so that's more so how our pelvic floor is going to work to create that tension and get a fuller contraction and have a little bit more dynamic movement. Yeah. I like that. And that's, and that's, you know, a very good visual, right. To kind of picture, Mm -hmm. you can picture that, how, how that works in your mind. Um, so then since you, you mentioned it twice now, and I think a lot of people probably have an idea of what you mean when you say a Kegel exercise, but that's probably something a lot of people have heard, right? Do Kegel exercises. They're good for your pelvic floor. Um, but I know you like to instruct those a little differently than maybe what people have heard on commercials or radio advertisements or whatever. So, um, what do you mean when you mention to do a Kegel exercise? And then if somebody wanted to try and do this as they're listening along, to the podcast, how to engage their pelvic floor muscles. How would you instruct them to try and do that? Yeah. So I think, you know, I always joke that Cosmopolitan started the conversation <laughs> about Kegels in the 90s, sit at the stoplight, do hundreds of them. Um, and why it introduced people to them. Um, Kegel is the last name of the man who kind of started the contraction and really put it out there. So that's how we got that name. But it you know, referring to a pelvic floor contraction. Um, I always tell people when we tell somebody to go strengthen their bicep, we're not going to go say do hundreds of bicep curls. That's not what we're going through. Or we're also not going to say, you know, grab this weight and hold it with a contraction for 10 minutes through there. Um, We need the lengthening and the contraction part of it. So pelvic floor contraction or Kegel, I think a lot of people have been told to stop the flow of urine is mm-hmm. as their cue of that. Isn't I think that's what I remember hearing the most. And when I talk to clients, if, if this topic comes up, that's pretty much what everybody says. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's like when you're going to the bathroom and you try to stop the flow of pee coming. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when that kind of starts the conversation, I don't love it because that 
tends to create our brain to think more of the superficial anterior muscles. And so we're really missing a whole lot of the pelvic floor muscles with that cue. We also don't want to practice that a lot. I usually tell people you can do that once a quarter to check in and see if you're doing it mm-hmm. well, but at some point we can start to screw up the brain bladder loop and how sure. it sends the message of when your bladder is fully empty. And then we start leading into urinary frequency, urge, not voiding correctly. So I don't like giving that as the only cue because I think we can lead to more problems than good with that. Um, what I usually tell people and, you know, bring humor into it is you're out on a first date with your significant other, or you're getting to meet your hero, your idol, and you have to fart. What are you going to do? And nine times out of 10, everybody really, you know, everybody for the most part knows how to hold that in. And we get a big glute squeeze. Mm -hmm. But really, like, if you're sitting across from somebody on a date, you don't want them to see you bouncing up and down (laughs) as you're squeezing your glutes. So we want to think more of that internal contraction and starting there. And that's going to be more of the posterior Mm -hmm. pelvic floor muscles. And then from there, I tell people to kind of zip that contraction forward for somebody with more female anatomy, uh, vagina. I've used the cues, think about picking up a blueberry with your vagina, think about drinking through a straw, both of those cues kind of thinking about a squeeze and then a lift. And the lift is the really big part of that to get a good contraction. Mm -hmm. Usually from there, most people have gotten their anterior, the front of their pelvic floor to contract as well. If they're not, then I'll say, okay, from there, think about stopping the flow of urine and kind of get that full contraction. Um, for people with penises, a lot of times what I'll say is think about the feeling when you first like walk into cold water Yeah, and kind of that lift through there to, um, kind of think about if penis is a turtle head, how are you going to lift and retract that Mm -hmm. back into the shell or an elephant with a trunk? So trying to really bring in visual ideas Mm -hmm. of how to move anatomy, because for the most part, you know, we're not seeing people move around. I'm not going to be able to go demonstrate a pelvic floor contraction in the same way I can demonstrate a squat and have you copy it. So, yeah, I think that that is a really good point too, because everybody's a different learner, right? Some people are more kinesthetic, some are more auditory, some prefer visual cues. Well, it's a little different, right? Yeah. You could demonstrate a bicep curl, what, right? You can't demonstrate exactly a pelvic floor contraction exercise. Those visual cues, like you said, that's that's very helpful. So if you have not already done this, as Amber's um, describing this, I would encourage you to try and do some of this stuff, like try to create that engagement as she's describing it, um, or if you, you know, rewind this and go, go see what it feels like to yourself. Cause maybe this is something that you have not tried before. Um, you know, and I just was actually having this same conversation, um, with someone else. And that's exactly what I tell them. I'm like, well, Amber tends to instruct this just a little bit differently. So why don't we have you try this and feeling like you're trying to not let that, you know, fart come out on your first date is totally different feeling then try to stop the flow of urine, right? So um, at least it feels different to me. So you, oh, one of ahead. the big points to comment on too is just like we would with a bicep curl of like curl up, but then we also instruct to return to the starting position. We want to make sure we're getting that full 
relaxation and letting yeah. things go between each contraction mm-hmm. as well. We don't want it to be kind of a stair step where we're getting a contraction and we're releasing a little bit, but not all the way and getting another contraction. We want to make sure we're going back to starting point and get the full relaxation each time. Yeah. You're working through that full range of motion, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, of an area that we don't think about necessarily moving too much. So you started to sort of talk about this, like the visual cueing, it could be one of the ways, but you know, if someone's coming in for pelvic floor based physical therapy, you know, what does that look like compared to just someone coming in for a physical therapy appointment? Like what's, what's the difference? Yeah. So I always tell people like pelvic floor physical therapists are first and foremost trained as a PT. They still very much have an orthopedic background of some sort, a neuromuscular background of some sort. So an evaluation with a pelvic floor PT should also be looking at kind of your body as a whole system. We want to know what is your low back doing? What are your hips doing? What is your foot doing? Because all of that is going to impact what your pelvic floor does. And if we have tunnel vision and just go straight to the pelvic floor and only try and treat that, well, if there's something really big going on with your spine, that's putting pressure and putting an abnormal pull on your pelvic floor. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much we do to the pelvic floor. We're not going to correct it if we don't get the spine, if we don't get the foot working well mm-hmm. as well. So there's always going to be kind of that screen, depending on what that shows, how in-depth we go down just kind of a regular physical therapy, musculoskeletal screening. Um From there, a lot of pelvic floor PTs are going to do an internal exam. This is going to vary what an OB office is going to do, look a lot more different. Um, I think the big point to note here is this is always consent based. So this does not have to be a first visit thing. Um, There's always a lot we can work on before we get to this point. And depending on the diagnosis, it may not even be appropriate right away. If somebody is having a lot of pain, just trying to plow through to check boxes is not beneficial to anyone and can actually be pretty traumatic. And so it really kind of then opens up a spectrum. What does this look like because we want to be what is appropriate for that person. Um, An internal exam, whenever that happens, if it does happen, um, and that can be depending on the training of the person, either done vaginally or rectally, Mm -hmm. is going to be looking at, okay, first kind of visually, how are things contracted? What can we see externally of a contraction? Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, what is the tone of those muscles? So just like a PT would be, you know, if they're looking at a shoulder would be saying, okay, what did the upper traps feel like? What does the deltoid feel like? What does the rotator cuff look like? We're going to be doing those same things, kind of going layer by layer. There's three layers of the pelvic floor that we talk about a lot and assessing, okay, are these very hypertonic? Are they very tight and putting pressure on there? Do we feel trigger points or knots in these muscles? They're a skeletal muscle. They can have those as well. Where are these points of tenderness where are, you know, are a little bit more relaxed. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there going and seeing, okay, what are your go-to strategies from our contraction standpoint? Are left and right side contracting equally? Are we getting both a front and backside contraction? Mm -hmm. Are we just getting a squeeze? Are we getting a squeeze and a lift? 
after the contraction? Do we get relaxation or are we just kind of stuck in that position? Yeah. We're going to also look then at can you lengthen through the pelvic floor Mm -hmm. and can you dynamically kind of create that space? So, and then how does that tie in to the rest of the body, to how you're breathing, all of that? Yeah, I think that part is huge. And I love how you sort of started your, molded your answer there of, you know, at the end of the day, the pelvic floor physical therapist is a physical therapist. And, you know, if if they're doing their job appropriately and the environment, clinical environment that they're in provides them with the space and autonomy to do this, then, you know, they're going to look at the whole person and, and see how is this all synergistically working together And maybe that leads down the path of doing an internal pelvic floor exam. Maybe it doesn't. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, you said it's consent based. And regardless, you're going to probably find things to work on, whether that's internal or or not, um, because of the skill set that's there. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, it was even the same when I was training more in hand therapy and worked as a certified hand therapist. I had the background knowledge of a PT and an OT before we added the specialized, Mm -hmm. you know, any of those, if we kind of step outside and look a little bit different to like Parkinson's and your big trained therapist, the end of the day, there's always that foundational level. And that really has to be there first. And I think, you know, it may hit home with me a little bit more because it was a hip injury that led to pelvic floor stuff. And so why there was some internal to work on a lot of it was more hip-based and it was just how the pain referred so yeah that makes sense now you said um how do i want to ask this question um you said that it would be wonderful if you had the opportunity to work with somebody prior to getting pregnant but what do you tend to find or see as you know some of the typical reasons typical diagnoses or typical issues that people are having that tends to lead them in to see you or any other uh, number of pelvic floor physical therapists. Yeah. So I think if we're talking about like the pregnancy, postpartum people, you know, that group in the beginning, it's going to be low back pain, hip pain, um, SI joint pain will show up or pubic symphysis pain that shows pain is a great motivator for people to seek care. And so that's usually the introduction to care through there. Um, I think there is being a little bit more conversation about it. And so I'm starting to see more people from a birth prep type of mentality of, okay, what do I need to do? Yes, there's these labor and delivery classes at the hospital, but they kind of take a tone of what are you going to see at the hospital? What is that experience going to look like versus a how do I prep my body? What do I need to do? What are these mm-hmm. sensations going to feel like? And how do I act? So um, I'm starting to see that a little bit more. And that's great because we can talk about, okay, this is the equipment that the hospital said it has. These are ways that you can utilize it for your benefit. If somebody chooses to have an epidural, I think the conversation a lot is, okay, well, now you're on your back this is the position you're going to deliver in. Yeah. Well, there's ways that we can still get into the knees higher than hip position that is more beneficial for the pelvis to open with the lack of mobility with an epidural. And so being able to have those conversations early on and when 
rational brain is working a little bit more than when you're in the middle of labor and you're going, okay, well, what can I do? And all of that. And you're a little bit more reactionary. So that's a great place. Um, when we step out a little bit more generally, um, incontinence is a big thing or leaking. Um, and that can be either urine or bowel. Um, typically urine is what we see a little bit more, but it can be either way. Um, and then also flatulence or gas falls into that being enable to hold that back when you want to. Yeah. And then um, pelvic organ prolapse. So those organs kind of shifting, not having the support, and then they can prolapse either to the vagina, to the rectum, um, and put pressure through there. You can feel them. It can make having a bowel movement difficult. It can make emptying the bladder difficult. And so looking at how do we create um, support for that mm -hmm. and really trying to intervene before like the bladder sling conversations and yeah. stuff happen. So, yeah, I would love to, now that you've kind of gone through that and you kind of like wound the conversation mm -hmm. to incontinence, I would love to kind of sort of revert back to where we started this conversation about things being normal versus common, because we know incontinence is a common thing that mm -hmm. ladies tend to deal with in a postpartum scenario. Um, and a lot of conversations that I hear is just that it's, yep, I've had two kids. This is just part of my life now that I'm destined to deal with forever because this is just what happens. Can you sort of go down that conversation just a little bit and how you handle one, how you handle those conversations with either uh, people that you meet or with clients? And then two, um, you know, how do we try to treat and train somebody to not continue to deal with incontinence issues, knowing that there are different types of incontinence that we might deal with? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first part is there's going to be a lot of conversation that happens of when is it occurring? Is it more of a stress type of incontinence? It's when you're laughing, sneezing, coughing, jumping, running. There's some sort of external force or with, you know, kind of internal with coughing, but it's not you're just sitting there and, oh my gosh, I've got to go. There's some sort of pressure being put on. Or is it more of a urge that it's like, oh, I have that first sensation of I have to go and I have to go now. If, you know, I'm stuck on a plane, I'm stuck in a meeting and I have to hold it, it's going to be an issue mm -hmm. type of thing. And so looking at that, one of the first places I really start with the conversation and often will send as homework is a bladder diary mm -hmm. because our bladder does not like some substances. And so if we're drinking a whole lot of coffee in the morning and we're not balancing with that with water, now we have caffeine, we have acid, it's going to irritate the bladder. And so even if the bladder is not full, it's going to say, I don't like this. I want this out. Yeah. And so we start to see the urgency or the frequency increase through there. Um, and so that it may just be, okay, we need to start working on increasing our water. And for every cup of coffee you have, have a glass of water as well. So we're diluting that a little bit more yeah. and retraining that. We can work on some like, okay, I got the signal of I have to go to the bathroom. Can I delay this for 30 seconds? Can I delay it for a minute? And working through some different types of pelvic floor contractions, how long we hold, how frequently they are. Can we just distract you now? 
and then starting to delay the timing mm -hmm. behind it. And really that at that point, we're kind of training the brain a lot more too, because if we've given into those urges, our bladder may have learned that, okay, well, at a quarter filled, this is when I have to go. It thinks that we're hundred percent full now. Mm -hmm. And so it's sending that strong signal immediately. And so it's just kind of a, this delay and retraining of what is full and what is not full and when can we yeah. wait and when can we not. If it's more of the stress based, then it's looking at, okay, how do we get a preemptive contraction or a preparatory contraction to create support? A lot of times a cough, a laugh, a sneeze is creating a lot of downward pressure. And so it's kind of like we're squeezing a juice box and yeah. then we're losing the control. And so if we can add some support to the bottom, then, and release the pressure up through the top, through our diaphragm and through our throat, through the glottis, we're balancing the pressure a little bit more. And so that works really well too, with some of the, um, you know, even athletes that yeah. haven't had kids are not experience something this with jumping or running or lifting uh of how do we put that support in ahead of time mm -hmm. to give the control um, yeah I hear, I hear that a lot in the gym of you know there's a, a fitness class that's mostly females generally speaking however you would define this in that like middle age category right a lot of these ladies are moms of teenage kids and whatnot and um, maybe the coach has programmed something that involves some jumping or maybe it's squats, maybe it's box jumps, whatever. And there's this like mad dash. Oh, hold on. Let me run to the locker room and use the restroom first before we do these box jumps because of fear of having incontinence mm -hmm. during the class. Yeah. So, you know, I think that is a great point to start. And especially with our... Oh, a lot of athletes, what I'm seeing is not a weakness component. Yeah. It's that having too much tone. And so it's kind of like walking around with, you know, bicep 75% contracted. Well, if you need to go lift a heavy dumbbell, you're not going to recruit a whole lot if your bicep's been working at 75% for the last right. hour, you know, or that trampoline, if it's above baseline and now you're trying to get a big jump and it can't lengthen there's not a whole lot more there yeah. to give so a lot of times in those situations we're working a whole lot more on relaxation and getting that lengthening of the pelvic floor before it contracts yeah and once we have that length the pelvic floor automatically becomes more efficient more effective yeah, yeah. because you're just you're allowing it to function the way that it's designed to and not yeah. at a you know, at a, uh, a hindered state, so to speak, like if it's holding that tone or holding that partial contraction at all times, um, you know, it kind of, it kind of feels to me like I'm trying to think of an analogy, like, you know, if you had your car in like the wrong gear or something, right, it's not going to drive and function as efficiently and effective as it's supposed to, because it's not set up for success, right? You're in a different gear than you're supposed to be in. Um, and you know that the idea of, well, it's not just an idea, this, this works in the body, of getting some solid engagement of the pelvic floor to delay the urge for, you know, to urinate uh, really works because I've been on many of uh, road trips where I am far in between rest stops or anything like that. And I really have to go to the bathroom and it's like, well, what am I going to do? I try to do some pelvic floor engagement while I'm sitting there in my car to just delay that, distract my mind from the feeling of having to use the bathroom until I can get where I need to go. Yeah. 
It yeah, works. I feel like a lot of us have probably done that yep. a few times. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely works. Okay, so, um, you know, I want to sort of bring you back to the the question when I asked you, like, if, if things were going for someone according to plan, you said it would be great to see them before they even got pregnant. So say now they, they just found out, wow, wonderful, you know, mm-hmm. we're pregnant. And, you know, along the course of their pregnancy, if things are going according to plan, how often should they see maybe a pelvic floor therapist to help help benefit them? You know, I think, you know, bare minimum once each trimester because body shape is going to change center of gravity changes. We're going to have to deploy different strategies to manage that. Um, and so really looking at that, I tend to tell people the further along you get, the more I want to be able to see you because then at some point we're going to start switching from, okay, how are you managing this load? Whether it's just walking while pregnant and having a different size and shape, or how are you managing still squatting and lifting and all of that? And what are your abdominal muscles doing so that we're making sure we're not causing the potential for damage down the road and making recovery harder to, okay, what does delivery and labor prep look like? How do we start to really focus on that relaxation of the pelvic floor muscles so that when you're in that moment, you have those go-to strategies for delivery? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Kind of, kind of the opposite of, you know, maybe what someone would think of a most physical therapy scenarios where generally we're going to see someone a little more frequently on the front end of care post-surgery, right after an acute injury, something like that. Um, but makes sense that, you know, your body's changing more drastically the closer you get to that pregnancy. And of course, right when you have the child um, that you would want to tone or uh, turn the frequency up mm-hmm. just a little bit more on the back end. That makes great, great sense to me. So what about if, you know, maybe someone listening to this, you already sort of gave some examples, but maybe they don't have kids. Maybe they don't they don't want to have kids, or maybe they found out that having kids is not going to be in the plans or cards for them. Public floor physical therapy could still benefit them potentially, whether they're having issues or not. Yeah. So, I mean, I forget the exact number, but I think it's something like 95% of people with low back pain also has some sort of pelvic floor dysfunction. Dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And I mean, our incidence of low back pain, whether it's chronic and long-term or you know, real short term is really high. And so, you know, a lot of times we're not looking at it and that's okay. It doesn't always need to be a course of treatment, but if something is not resolving or there seems to be pieces of the puzzle that are missing, Mm -hmm. pelvic floor is really great in that scenario. um, If somebody is training for something, it's a really great way to combo with the training, whether it's lifting, whether it's running, whether it's cycling, mm-hmm. uh, making sure pelvic floor as part of our core or that whole abdominal canister is working efficiently to yeah. avoid injury later on. Yeah. I think the cycling comment is a really good one too, because you hear a lot of, maybe you hear this more with men than women, but, or maybe that's just because I, I talk to more male cyclists, um, because I am one, but you know, whether you're on that saddle, maybe you're getting some groin area numbness and tingling from compression on the seat, um, or, you know, maybe somebody, whether this is, has anything to do with cycling or not, but maybe there's like a prostate complication going on. Yeah. Um, 
obviously that's a very appropriate appropriate topic to potentially see someone like yourself as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely on the cycle, there's a whole lot of different things that come in, you know, come into play there. Hip flexor tightness common with a lot of athletes. Mm-hmm. Typically there's a pelvic floor component with that yeah. as well. And then, you know, we've seen so much with all sports of if we have an effective abdominal wall or core, what we tend to call our core to begin with, how much more power we can generate. And that's Mm -hmm. so true with the pelvic floor too, of if we're getting a good coordination between the pelvic floor and our abs, we're just going to be able to generate more power as well. Yeah. So what about the total other end of the spectrum, right? Or the other end of the, um, I don't know, life cycle, so Mm -hmm. to speak of maybe someone has had children and they're not planning to have any more. And now they're hitting that mid-stage menopause. Maybe they've uh, are considering or have had maybe a hysterectomy or something like that. How does, how does that kind of play into pelvic floor physical therapy when you're going on the other end of the spectrum, not having kids, but. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the big part to think about that as we age, our hormones shift and that's, you know, we really see it with estrogen. There's some lines with males of testosterone too. And so that's going to change how our bodies are working as estrogen drops. We know that there's a decrease in vaginal wall and muscle bulk. As testosterone decreases, we have a harder time maintaining muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Same goes for muscles of the pelvic floor then. And so we're going to have to work on, you know, what are we deploying as our strategies to be able to support our organs if we just don't have as much muscle mass and what strategies right. can we use? Sometimes it's, you know, hey, we've had low back pain in, you know, the middle of our life and we never got our pelvic floor looked at. And so there's still the dysfunction there, even Mm -hmm. if we're not feeling the back pain anymore. And so it's just getting that to coordinate well. Sometimes it's, you know, overall our strength has decreased as we age. And so pelvic floor strength has decreased as well. And we really do need to look at a strengthening program and, Mm -hmm. you know, what are modalities do we need to really build up strengthening through there? Um, but that's why we tend to see kind of that middle age increase in things again is because hormones are shifting. Sure. Yeah, that makes great sense. I mean, you have a huge hormone shift going through pregnancy, mm-hmm. huge hormone shift in, in, you know, when you start having menopause, yeah. um, you know, time come in. So Amber, has there been anything in, you know, your experience working with clients, your own story that we have not yet touched on that you think would be important for us to kind of cover um, as far as, you know, pelvic floor, whether, you know, how it's talked about, how it's treated and anything like that, that like, I sort of forgot to ask you or anything like that. You know, I think the biggest thing is just not being willing to settle. And the first answer we're given from whatever provider that may be, may not be the only answer. There's a lot of nuances there. And so, you know, we talk about a lot with low back pain of let's try conservative management first, or there's a small rotator cuff tear. We're going to try conservative management, physical therapy first, before we jump into surgery. I think, you know, we need to take away some of the secrecy or tabooness or Mm -hmm. whatever of talking about pelvic floor 
issues because they're out there a whole lot more than anybody's really wanting to think about or admit and say, we can treat these just like anything else. So, you know, and so if the first, you know, if you have met with a OB or a surgeon or, a, you know, um, somebody with urinary, like if you're, if that answer isn't sitting well with you, mm-hmm. continue to dig. If the perverse provider you're seeing isn't a great fit, continue to dig because more and more information is coming out. There's a variety of training of providers, you know, yeah. continuing to push with it. Um, you know, I noticed with my mom as she aged, like her first answer with incontinence was like, oh, here, take a medicine. Yeah. Well, we missed a whole lot of the picture through there. Yeah. And so, you know, that's something I've heard quite a bit in here of like, well, my provider gave me a medicine, but I don't know if I want, you know, I'm 35, I'm 40. Do I really want to take a medication every day for the rest of my Forever. life? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that keep the conversation going, keep digging a little bit more because there's a whole lot more out there. Yeah. Then. Yeah, that is, that is so true. And I think, you know, whether we're talking about this um, or any anything else, um, whether you're in the medical system or whatever, is, yeah, you have to be your own advocate and you have to ask questions and you have to, you know, be willing to not just accept the first or second answer that you're given, um, because maybe it's not the one, not, not that you're necessarily waiting for what you want to hear, but maybe yeah. that answer, like, just, it's not making sense to you and you want to try some different options because, you know, not every situation is the same and everybody's circumstances and wishes and desires are unique to them. Um, you know, I know a couple people, I'll use my mom as an example of someone who like sort of is now making this transition in her, what is this, 2022? She turns 60 in like two weeks. So she used to always be somebody who, you know, just go to the physician's office and follow what that, whatever the recommendations are. And I think partially because of my career path and journey and uh, challenging things that she's been told, well, now she's kind of shifting, swinging to the other side of the spectrum of like her physician will recommend a medication. And she's like, well, you know, what else? What other option is out there? Because I really don't don't want to take that. I've been on all these medications for years. I'm trying to get off of them. You know, what other what other things can we do? And it sounds like she has a really good physician where she lives that, um, you know, is very open to having those conversations, but we know not all providers are are that way or the office that they're in doesn't allow them the space to to really explore other avenues because they're so crunched for time or something like that. Yeah, yeah I think that's a good recommendation that you give to people. So um, and to to that end, if, um, you know, you need another perspective or you need someone to listen to you, we're always open to do that here at Physio Room um, or if there's a, you know, a topic that you want to hear us talk shop about on this podcast, you just let us know and we'll we'll either talk about it or we'll find another expert that we can interview on whatever that topic is. Um, but for any of you that listen to this, I want Amber to give you guys some um, ways that you can either get in touch with her or find out more information on any of the stuff that we talked about if something resonated with you. So Amber, what's the best way for someone who um, was nice enough to spend their time listening to this show. If they want to find out more, if they have a question that came up, how should they get in touch with you? Yeah. I mean, 
definitely, you know, keeping an eye out for Physio Room's posts on social media through Facebook, Instagram has some great blurbs, but if there are specific questions, um, people are always welcome to email me. That would be amber at physioroomco.com. And I'm sure they'll be in the show notes at the bottom as well. And we can kind of chat on more specifics of what's going on. Um, I can help for find providers if you aren't local or, um, you know, we can also explore whether something virtual works as well. There's a whole lot, I think, that we've seen through the pandemic of how virtual really works a whole lot better than we ever thought it would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're totally right. Whether we're talking about pelvic floor physical therapy, physical therapy in general, movement-based type of treatment, any of that, like we're seeing some great stuff with virtual yeah. virtual care. So again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to listen to this episode of The Code with Dr. Amber Rand. If you have any questions or want to leave us a comment um, or a review, please do that on this podcast. We really appreciate your time and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks, Amber. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Andrew, for having me.